0: You are listening to the Equip Podcast. This weekly course seeks to equip our church, and we pray it can help you as well. Check out more resources at rockycreek.church. I want you, if you do have a copy of God's Word, I want to read something to you from Jeremiah chapter 23 uh, tonight. I want to go ahead and tell you that this is probably one of the more unique uh, sessions that we can do. Uh, and we have different folks that have said, hey, are you guys going to record this? And I can't come on Sunday nights so or not. And we, we aren't going to record it uh, just for people to have. Um, but I think that the growing thing as, as a pastor is seeing all of the things that are happening out in the world today. Uh, and unfortunately, also some of the things that happen even within the church. And just your, our, our need to make sure that we are ever diligent to do whatever we can to protect our people. Um, I was, uh, I guess a few years ago, we were having one of the talks with our kids about, um, just strangers and being careful who you're around and what you do. And I can remember Gloria saying, but you don't have to worry about that at church though. Well, uh, yes, you can. You do need to worry about that at church. And it was the most heartbreaking conversations I probably ever had to have with her, um, you never want to look at your daughter and say that church isn't always a safe place but folks you know this sometimes church isn't always a safe place uh speaking of i can't tell if there's a door that's locked way in the back somebody's trying to get in because we're so locked in here like fort knox i appreciate somebody checking in on us as we go through it um but with this um the reality is is in the midst of when we were having this conversations, was also as a pastor and somebody part of our denomination we were having the conversations about how do you protect from sexual abuse within church situations. And so having to look at your kids and say, no, you're not always safe at church. No, you're not always safe at youth camp. No, you can't just completely trust everybody at Vacation Bible School, no. And that's hard to say, but it is the world that we live in. And no matter what type of background checks or what things that you do, you always realize this, there's always the first offense, right? And the background check's not gonna catch that. There, there's, there can be a perfect track record of decades of service in one thing, and so tonight, um, what I'm about to share with you, um, I never took a course on in seminary. Um, still trying to figure out as we go, but I also feel like that as uh, one of the pastors here, it is important for us to consider. In Jeremiah 23 it might be a weird place to think about. What does this have to do with um, um, gun safety or sexual abuse? It has to do with shepherd and caring for people within the flock. And it says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Now, when I let me just stop there for a second and, and know this, that um, there are plenty of people out there with church hurt that the pastors and the shepherds from churches that should have helped them actually hurt them. That's what we've got going on right now in the Southern Baptist Convention. That's what we've got a lot of people the church hurt because of someone that has done something, and they had a position of spiritual authority over the person life because they either did something or refused to do something. More harm was done. And now what happens is, while I don't think anybody in this church is unwise enough to somehow equate me to God, okay, <laughs> I don't think we're there, but there are people who see me as a spiritual place and that there's a lot of what I may do they can translate to what god may be like or what he would act in certain situations and so there's such a level of the need to protect even the most vulnerable people in our church because that's what god would do so when it says what are the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pastor there are people that are actually serving as spiritual shepherds that have destroyed the sheep they have done things that have completely wreaked havoc upon individuals and on families and not only that the scattering the sheep is that because of their actions, it has caused people to move out away from the church. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock and out of all the countries where I've driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them. And they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall there be any missing, declares the Lord. Um, a prayer of mine for this church is that we would always have shepherds, and by the way, the word pastor is its a shepherd, that's what that means. That we would have shepherds over the spiritual flock that not only refrain from doing evil, not only refrain from scattering the flock, but are the ones that bring them together and care for them. Like, that's the job of the shepherds, right? It's the job of a church leadership, it's the job of a church in general, and so the reason why I bring that is that at the very heart, um, our job, primary job, is to preach the gospel and to, to disciple people. But if you don't preach the gospel and if you are unable to disciple people and we struggle in different kind of capacities on how to do that, we can actually cause spiritual and physical and mental harm to people because we have not done our job. And, and so with that, I, I want us to, to walk through here together this... this um, handout that we've got, and we're going to talk through some specific things about uh, two particular issues, and I've gone ahead and, and warned uh, what we're talking about, but one we're going to talk about securing the campus, and as it relates to especially uh, increasing gun violence in our world today, but then also securing the children, as, especially as it goes to the, the nature of sexual abuse. So. Um, One of the things that I want to to at least start with is we talk about securing the campus, the who and the how, how this comes together. Um, So, uh, unfortunately, uh, school shootings are a lot more common these days than what they used to be. Mm -hmm. I can remember uh, the first one, at least in collective memory, that I would have have been 1988 in my hometown of Greenwood, South Carolina at Oakland Elementary School. Some of y'all probably remember that because it was such a unique thing that happened back in those days. It wasn't just a blip on the news radar. It was like for weeks, right? Little Greenwood was on the map because someone walked in to the school, um, killed two students, wounded seven others. And the reason why I remember this as well as I do is that uh, I went to the house of one of those students who got shot in the arm that night because they were a family friend. And I remember going to that house, and my mom's talking to the parents, and I'm like, what is it was it like being shot I'm just like looking at the you know their bandage and whatnot, and just being completely like, "Oh my goodness, this actually happened and I can remember those days about how much of a shocking thing it was, and unfortunately now it's kind of just a common thing we get a little bit more used to it um at, at Oakland, actually what happened was the, um, the person who did the shooting had mental illness, the PE teacher wrestled him to the ground, slowed him down, and then the principal finally stopped him. And these were unarmed people. 1988, you didn't have officers in schools like you do now, right? And now it's almost a necessity, right? Um, so you, you see an incident like that, and then you think about what happened at Emanuel AME in Charleston and different places like this, this, this summer, different places where someone walks into uh, a church building and um, just comes unannounced, unexpected, and, and the unfortunate things that happen. So let me explain at least what we think, because what I've realized this is that probably some of you are aware of some of the precautions and things that we do, and there probably some people go, I had no idea. I feel a little bit better. Some of you are going to feel a little discouraged that we have to even think about this. Once again, I hate that we have to think about entry points and we have to think about crisis situations and alarm systems and what if this, like, I hate that I have to think about that, but we do. It's just the world that we live in. So first and foremost, I want to talk about who is securing the campus. We have something called the IRT. If you say the IRT team, you're saying the Incident Response Team team. Okay, so it's the IRT IRT, uh, Incident Response Team. Um, And and so for this, let's let's walk through just a couple things. Uh, Rocky Creek has an Incident Response Team that works to help keep our church family and facilities safe during regular services on Sundays and Wednesdays. These individuals have also been given permission to carry firearms on church property following certain guidelines. Uh, This team works under the guidance of Pastor David Williams, and the IRT covers the entry points into the church. And so uh, as you come and go throughout church, you may go, oh, that's a greeter. That's a greeter with a purpose. Okay, they are a greeter with a very intentional purpose uh, that is trying to make sure that we are safe. Uh, and for some people, once again, uh, I've had some people go, I can't even believe that you guys have a team at your church that is carrying a weapon and thinking about this. And my response is, I can't believe you aren't thinking about this because it's just the world that we live in. Um, so for this, how do they communicate during an emergency? There's earpieces and radios allow them to keep in contact, notify each other of updates or issues that may arise in their zones. This allows them to make the necessary precautions and calls if they need to assist in an emergency situation. Somebody had asked me, they said, say, well, at this meeting, are you going to talk about how they do all this kind of stuff? No, because I don't want anybody going around our deal and dealing, listening for a blueprint how to get around. I would just say this. There's a lot of people stationed in a lot of different places that really keep our place safe. Very much so. In fact, I think one of the most thorough groups that, that I've ever been as part of a church, and some of the guys that are here on the IRT uh, is, is, I'm going to say it again, IRT team. The IR team, or the IRT, uh, are some of the best who take their job seriously, uh, and passionate about what they do. And it's a wonderful gift to see. Um, how are we securing the campus? There's a few things that should help us. The IRT uh, training quarterly. Um, they meet quarterly to uh, for training to review some kind of skill enhancement, awareness regarding personal defense, or medical trauma care. Uh, if you're also not aware of this, we've got AED machines, we've got all kinds of first aid kits stationed throughout the different buildings. And all these people that are on this team know exactly what to do. Um, some of you have been a part of a certain type of service where something Unexpected has happened and sometimes it's been a health emergency and all of a sudden people start rushing in and doing their thing, right? Um, In some ways we were joking around, but there's so much medical professional at our church as well as people who've been trained in this. Really the safest place to have an issue is to have it on a Sunday, okay? I'm just saying because you got a lot of people that are going to rush in and help at that time. uh, But they they continue to do quarterly training uh, because... Uh, in the same way that I'm doing this for you, I have to realize that in a year from now, we're all going to forget some of this stuff on an information sheet. You know, So for the IRT, but also for us, we have to consistently remind ourselves of some of the things that we do. In addition, uh, background checks. Uh, each volunteer who desires to help on the IRT, finance team, deacons, greeter team, children, etc. must submit to a background check. And we're going to explain that a little bit more when we get to another page. If a background check comes back flagged with an alert, the lead pastor and personal team are notified to review the flags and delegate where that person is suitable to volunteer. So we are going to make sure that those people who are serving on this team um, have a good record so that they can serve on this team. So we just don't like, oh, you want to serve? Sure, that's great. Okay, we're not going to check it. No, we're going to check into all those different elements about that person's past and skills and qualities. Uh, door locks, uh, church doors operate on a locking schedule depending on the event and the time of day. Doors will be unlocked at a certain time and then locked again to ensure the safety of those inside the church. Give an example. On Wednesday nights, the Welcome Center doors unlock at 6 p.m. and will lock again at 6.45 p.m. while gatherings are scheduled. Have you ever gotten somewhere at 6.46 and been banging on the door and trying to get in, okay? And it's really frustrating, right? And we do it because we love our people here, you know? Uh, We have, throughout the week, we have a lot of um, different groups. We have some homeschool co-ops that meet here. We have certain teams that meet here in our gym. We have different extracurricular stuff that meet. We want this campus to be something that's used. We don't want it to be a museum, right? But a lot of times, never, it's like Fort Knox in here. You can't get in here. Why are all these doors locked? To protect your children. That's why. That's why they're locked. That's why they're secure. That's why we have lock schedules. But I couldn't get in here. Well, you should have planned better. Okay. And so, as as lovingly as I can say, and, and what was really helpful. One day, I remember we had um, a one of our homeschool ops was meeting here on a Monday. Uh, everybody was like rushing in. There's like, there's a homeless guy outside. We're scared, we're nervous. We're like, this is just called a Monday for us. And we just went out and addressed the situation. But in those moments, you have to realize we've got so many entry points throughout the day that somebody could come in one door and just go hide somewhere in the back closet of the place and be here for a long time. That's also why that during the week, there's one door that's open and that's even locked. It's got a camera system, I'll talk about that in a second, but just limiting the access to what we have. So what I'm asking you to help us with is be patient but also be on time. That helps a lot. (laughs) You can avoid a lot of issues if you just get to church on time but I won't get on that soapbox. Okay Um, as as mentioned uh, the church office doors are always locked and can be only accessed via an assigned key fob or by the receptionist buzzing you inside. Uh, Last year we moved all of our offices to this area One of the key things we wanted is one entry point and one entry point alone. So if there's any activity that's typically going on here on a Tuesday or a Thursday, we want people coming through that door. Uh, I'll be honest, we have sometimes heard frustration from members. Why do I have to ring a bell and talk to somebody over a phone before they let me in? Because if you knew the type of people that can occasionally come up to a church needing help, you would understand. Uh, It's not every day. It's not every week. But there are some times where some people will come to the door needing money, on drugs, desperate situations, I think sometimes potentially even demon-possessed, and we got a lot of stuff going on there, and so if you understand why I keep that door locked and let a a receptionist who's sitting there have a video conversation with somebody before she opens that door and can call somebody else for help, you understand why. And and so for that, once again, be flexible, be patient, and the reason we do this is because uh, with all the growth on Woodruff Road, there's just a lot of people who come, and if you get into a certain situation, you come to a church for help. In addition, we have certain housing communities that are near us that sometimes will tell their tenants if they cannot pay their bill, why don't you walk over to Rocky Creek? They help people out. So we typically will have people that just show up in need of some type of assistance. And you guys know that if someone is not getting the assistance they need, sometimes they can get a little unruly. And so we, we do that. We want to be open door church and we'll help anybody, but we also have to do our job to protect. Um, for those folks, we can continue to help people. Um, it says, please keep, uh, help us keep the facility secure by not propping any exterior doors open, okay? Now, every single one of us have propped a church door open at some point in our lives, okay? We have done that. You take a little rock, you take a piece of mulch, you put something there, a little chair, and you know you're going to come back, and then you forget. And you might have some somebody or something walk in. How did you get in? A lot of times well, the door was propped open. Somebody put the mat there or something like that, and I just walked in. There have been times on a Tuesday I've walked through the building and there's somebody random just standing in the middle of the sanctuary and I'll come up to them going, who are you? I don't know. The the door is propped open over there and you sit down and you talk and sometimes it's just, I was just looking for help and sometimes they're looking for trouble. That's just, and so the reason that we lock doors, we ask people not to prop once again, and we do a really, really good job of making sure if you've got an event scheduled, either you got a key fob or that, that door lock is open and closed, but it just helps the people know what time they need to be there, right? The, the next item here is limiting concealed weapons on a church campus. Now this one's a little bit challenging, but let me make sure you understand this because this has been a little bit of a uh, thing we have to unpack together. The church's policy is that the only other people allowed to carry weapons on campus are the IRT, Rocky Creek staff with the CWP and law enforcement. No one else should be carrying a gun on our campus. And you go, whoa, whoa, but the law says I can carry wherever I want to, right? Well, In the state of South Carolina, regarding a CWP uh, CWP permit, it states that a permit issued pursuant to this section does not authorize a permit holder to carry a concealable weapon into, and it gives a list of things, and one of those is a church or other established religious sanctuary unless express permission is given by the appropriate church official or governing body. Title 23, and, and you go on from there. So the rule is this, that in a religious setting, there's a limited number of people who should be carrying, right? Now, I know this, that in a room this size with the amount of people that are in there, who knows if I were to say, let's just do a count right now. Probably not all of you are on the list at this moment. And I understand that. What we are trying to do is to make sure that we have a unified approach if an incident occurs. We don't need a bunch of John Waynes going rogue trying to solve the issue and sometimes working against what's going on. And you go, what if I wanted to carry? What if I felt like I should? What if I... That's great. We're always looking for other individuals that serve on the IRT. And you go, well, can I be in this service or be a part of that? The answer is, well, yeah, we, we, we would love to have people stationed in different places. But what we don't want to do is just say, hey, a couple hundred of y'all can just be carrying at all times. And if a crisis hit, there's a bunch of friendly fire and just whatever going rogue versus be a part of the team, be a part of the strategy. I would love if there were certain people who sat in certain strategic locations every Sunday with ideas, but they're working with the efforts of the IRT versus going rogue. Does that make sense? So the effort is this, is that we want to make sure we have a unified approach with this. So uh, if it's something that you I I would love to be a part of or to help or even think through, is there other ways I can help? Uh, Yes, the answer is you can talk with David. Uh, David will walk you through, get you in in, uh, contact with the IRT and go from there. In addition, there's one other thing on this issue is overhead alarms. Uh, we've got our lockdown. Uh, the church has the capability with a push of a button to automatically lock all electronic doors to prevent anyone from coming into the church if there's a burglary, escaped convict, lose or a shooting nearby. And you go, which doors are they? They're the really heavy metal ones, okay? As uh, so you go through the campus, there are certain hallways that if we press a button right now, there are just certain doors that just automatically close and, and kind of sort of start um, doing a little bit of like... Uh, closing off of certain areas so things cannot spread. Um, I can remember one day I was, before we had moved down to this office area, our old offices, if you remember, you know, there was no handicap accessibility. And um, and so if, uh, example, some of y'all know Ruben Alvarez, who's in a wheelchair, he needed to come up and talk one day. So we just had to meet kind of, um, well, we met near the Welcome Center because his wheelchair could get up the ramp and so we met up there. And at one point they were doing a drill or somebody pulled an alarm or something and I, I promise you this, we were standing beside the door. The alarm went off, and the, and the, the door shut all of a sudden. And he, he jumped, like, so fast. And he goes, did you see that? I said, what? He goes, I almost walked. I said, I know. That was, that was pretty impressive there, okay? So in a moment's notice, right, that, that the alarm could go off, and, and the doors will lock down and can help us out through that. Uh, fire alarms, obviously there are fire alarms located at all exits of the church. Sprinklers are located in strategic areas and we have smoke detectors throughout the building. Obviously in a church that was originally started in 1834, there are certain things and certain coding that means this, but in all of our strategic areas and all of also our fire doors, um, sort of limiting the spread of fires. When this alarm is pulled, fire rescue is dispatched and cannot be turned off until they arrive. They coming. Okay, they're, they're on their way, no matter what happens uh, there. Um, also, weather alert. When inclement weather hits, such as a tornado, we have an alarm that will announce overhead to seek shelter and to move to a secure location within the building. And we also have an overhead alarm that deals with an active shooter. If we ever had an active moment of danger, uh, like a shooter active in the church, we have an alarm that will announce overhead notifying everyone of the situation and to take cover. Uh, And it is just basically, there's an emergency. You need to basically (laughs) close the doors, get secure, whatever it is. And um, it's a, that would go throughout the entire campus uh, if that's possible. There's also a couple of strategic places that uh, with people with IRT or our staff could turn a key, press this button, do whatever they need to, to lock certain areas down and whatnot to be able to secure the campus if an unfortunate situation ever happened. We pray that it never will, but you guys know it can, right? And so, with this, um, I do want to, uh, you know, doing even a, a, a session like this is kind of, um, I don't know, it's just, it's even hard to, to get to to be able to share with it. But I, I want you guys to at least know um, the positivity and also, I would say, um, the success of a team like this that works as hard as it does. Um, we don't know all the people that walk into our doors. Um, I, somebody asked me recently, they said, Well, I'll be welcome to your church. Like, we don't card anybody at the door. You're welcome in, okay? Uh, unless you're threatening somebody, you're, you're more than welcome to come in. Uh, we have, uh, you know, we had people today that were coming off the streets homeless that were, that we, we fed this morning and try to give a place to get encouragement. We have people that are coming out uh, out of prison that are here today. We got a lot of situations that probably nobody in this room even knows all about. If I were, if I were to scan the room and, and all four services that we had today, there are some people with some stuff walking in. And as a church, we want an open door that anybody is welcome to come in, but we also have to protect everybody else that's here at the same time. And that's a hard balance to find. It is, it's, I think we're able to find it. Um, but I, uh, just as a way of testimony to show how this kind of system works, um, one Sunday morning, I was alerted before our nine o'clock service um, that somebody that was mentally unwell, uh, had not been on their medication, was coming up to the church uh, with a weapon to come take care of Pastor Travis and the rest of the church. Um, and it was a um, a uh, automatic assault rifle was what was said was it to be in the car and whatnot and I was informed probably about 10 minutes before the service. Okay, so what do I do? Um, I look at the person who's gonna be preaching in my place and say, Bubba, I'm sorry. <laughs> 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 um, I mean, I hadn't taken a Sunday off in months, and this is the one Sunday. I'm like, they're going to come looking for me, and you're going to be there. So I'm going to sit on the front row, and I'm going to be going. You know, what, what we did was uh, we alerted the IRT. We had a picture that was presented about the person. Um, uh, one of our deacons who was aware of the situation parked his car right in the front, basically with eyes, just a scan and a way to say, no one's coming past me, okay? Working because he could identify the person. Um, the person did show up in the middle of 9 o'clock service, came to the front porch of while you guys were singing. And uh, the IRT talked to him. We alerted the police. And at this point, this person was handcuffed and taken away. And all of you were continuing to worship. And somebody was preaching. And we concluded the service before the 1030 service started. And apparently none of you knew about it. And I say that. Some of you go, I'm never coming to church again. No. <laughs> I-, I want you to see the system in this case did work. It, we, we had people looking at every station, knowing exactly what kind of car we were looking for, for the person that we were looking for, and that was an alert that was um, we were warned about, right? There are situations that we won't be warned about. Most people don't tip somebody off, right? But in this case, we had heard this and whatever, and, and the systems went in place, and I say that as, I know that sounds really weird, I say that as an encouragement that in that situation, the, the system did work, the person got help, everybody got safe, you got to worship, and, um, and my uh, fill-in pulpit supply did not get injured, which I was very, very thankful for that day. Um, so, so with this, this is a real situation. I ask that you pray that we would never, ever have to deal with this as a church, but also um, allow some flexibility in how we per- proceed so that we limit the opportunity for this happening. I think everybody here knows this. You can make all the precautions in the world, and you can't stop some things from happening, right? You sure can limit it, though. You sure can limit those things, and that's what our our hope is throughout all of this. Now, let me go to the next section that's securing the children. Let me see 0 through 18 as I talk about children today. I'm going to talk about anybody who's 18 and younger. So we've got preschool ministry, kids ministry, and student ministry, all of which, these are minors. And while we don't want any type of harm coming to anybody, we take special, specific things about it. Um, As it goes back to uh, back in 2019 I believe it was the Houston Chronicle put out an article that said that there were 700 Southern Baptist either pastors or ministry workers who had been convicted of sexual assault um, towards people in churches and that created a lot of the things that started happening as the denomination and within churches where we were kind of scrambling on what to do. In the middle of that I was in a meeting with some other pastors who said it this way, you know, there's 40,000 Southern Baptist churches in the United States of America. The fact that they only found 700 in, you know, 20 years, it was pretty remarkable. I said, what are you trying to get at? They're like, well, you just think there'd be more. Let me just tell you where I'm at on this. If it happened one time, that's too much. If one person came to church and a leader took advantage of them in a sexual way or abused them in any type of way. that's That's too much. 700 that we know about, right? Not counting the thousands that are out there that no one reported. Um, And I also will say this. um, Typically, we talk about um, this happening to, um, that, that men will do this. I know of a situation that I have counseled before where a teenage boy, Uh, was always dropped off by a female in the church that family trusted or whatever, and it found out this family would not take him home until certain things happened every single time. Um, Before he could drive, 12, 13, whatever it was, and that's kind of what he grew up in. And so I want to say that I know that there are certain cases that will happen more often, but we also don't need to stereotype us to be ignorant people that think that sin can't happen in any kind of capacity. Male, female, young, old, it doesn't really matter. So when we think about what this looks like, the, the WHO is securing the areas, once again, The uh, if we think about the IRT serving, uh, that works diligently to keep our children and youth safe. We'll talk about that a little bit. Also our teachers, uh, keeping a watchful eye on students inside the classrooms. If they're outside on the playground, we've got people that are always watching. Uh, we utilize open door or open window policies in all environments. What I mean by that. Um, We never have one person just working on a hallway or situation alone with any group of students, okay? There's either somebody with a door open in the hallway, or there's two people in the room, always at all times. Uh, We encourage there really should not be in any type of situation where one worker is working with somebody under the age of 18 by themselves. Even if nothing happens, folks, we live in a time of accusation, of all it takes is one simple accusation, right? Ruin a church, ruin a ministry, devastate a family— um, I was talking with a youth pastor once who um, said that in his youth group share time at camp one night, he discussed with them, um, or they started talking about these different things these kids could bring up. And one kid uh, basically confessed that they had been sexually abused years ago. And everybody starts rallying around this person, overwhelmed, crying, whatnot, praying. And this youth pastor is like, "Oh my gosh, what am I gonna have to do?" Now this kid grew up in a really bad situation, didn't know the parents. He's thinking through this. Well, then the next student uh, stands up and says, I've got something to share, too. Tells this whole story. Same thing. Just uh, and, and this one, the problem was, he's like, I know this kid. I know the parents. I know the family. And this is, say, this happened in the house, right? So as soon as the share time was over, the youth pastor went over to this uh, teenager and said, you're going to have to unpack a little bit more what happened. And they just kind of seemed a little wish-washy on their answers. Now, you got to be honest with me. What, what's going on here is kind of stuff. And this student finally just said, I, I just... I don't know when everybody i just saw how all the attention that she was getting i just kind of said the same thing happened to me did it ever happen to you no it didn't but i just saw now now i say that to go that's some twisted thinking some attention grabbing kind of people here and i'm saying all it takes is one accusation to say so and so was and, and if you got no other person there guess what You've opened yourself up for a lawsuit, for a ruined ministry, ruined, devastated family. Now we want to avoid it happening, right? We also want to avoid the appearance that it happened, not having those fail proofs. So with that, we're always having open door, open window policies. We refrain from volunteers working with children in isolation uh, to keep ourselves as clear as we possibly can. Now, how we are securing the children. Let me give you this. Um, We do volunteer background checks. Um, I've, I've shared this story with a few of you, but I will say this, um, I, I guess it was, it was probably about four years ago, but, um, uh, a senior adult couple had started coming to visit our church and they were loving the church. And, oh man, they were just filling my ears up with all kinds of stuff they loved about me and you and man, they were buttering me up and I was great. They bringing their grandkids to, to church with them or whatever. And, um, and she said, I see that vacation Bible school is happening in a few weeks. I was like, yeah, it is. She's like, well, I'd love to serve at it. Oh, that's great. Um here's the deal um i got we got a policy i just kind of made it the week before okay but i said we got a policy that you really can't serve with our kids until you've been a member here for six months you know and we were rewriting the policy but i felt like it was fresh enough that i could could feel adequate she hadn't joined yet she'd been here a few weeks and she said what do you mean and i said i don't know you and i'm not going to trust you with my kids and she goes I've taught Vacation Bible School at my former church for 40 years. I said, why aren't you there? You know? If you've taught it there for so long, why aren't you there right now? Well, because I know all this stuff is going on in the church. I'm like, well, how do I know you're not part of it, the problem? How dare you say that about me? I said, ma'am, I'm sorry. I said, how would you feel if I let some man come off the street that I don't know watch your granddaughter in Vacation Bible School? That's different. No, ma'am, it's not. So, so our policy, very, very simple, is this. You can serve. I just talked to a young couple in our 5 o'clock service says, we've just re- reached the six-month mark. We're so excited to serve with, with, with kids. You know what? You know what that does? It gives me as a pastor the opportunity for six months to watch these people. You know? A background check can do a whole lot, but also there's, there's another level of it. So with this volunteer background checks, let me explain how this works. Uh, each volunteer who desires to work with children and youth ages 0 through 18 must submit to a nationwide background check and provide three references outside of church staff to be contacted reason why I put nationwide is that uh, at one point, uh, there were a lot of churches that were doing South Carolina background checks. And if you look at the Houston Chronicle article, what you realize is this, is the pastor who got fired in Alabama just moved to North Carolina, and guess what the background check came clear in North Carolina? They were just hopping states all the time. So there's different types of background checks you can have. So we have a nationwide background check, you go, does it work? Well, in the last year, I've gotten criminal activity in uh, Colorado, North Carolina, and some other state from people who wanted to serve. So apparently it's working, okay? Someone has come in, and it may be an arrest record because of drug-related charges or something that happened with their finances 20 years ago, but it's popping up on our radar, and it gives a great opportunity for us to have a little conversation, okay? Those things do take place, and once again, these are things that they never train me for in seminary. But what we do is have a nationwide background check. Uh, no one can serve ministries with younger generations without a background check and six months of church membership. you got to be a member. You've got to commit it to us. And we've gotta have eyes on you for six months. Uh, in addition to that, we also have three references outside of the church staff to be contacted, as, as I mentioned. So we're gonna call, Oh, you used to serve there at that church? We just wanna find out why you're not there anymore. We wanna to talk to so and so let's get all this stuff done. Uh, after the completion of a background check, an email is sent out with a training video attached that reviews child safety. We ask that everyone serving children or youth in any capacity take this online course, which specifically covers sexual abuse awareness and prevention. If a background check comes back flagged with an alert, the lead pastor and personnel team are notified to review the flags and delegate where that person is suitable to volunteer. If the flags contain any history of a sexual nature, the volunteer will not be able to work with children and youth ages 18 and under. Let me explain something to you and just at least the way that I would think this every time we at least are investigating into it. Um, So give you a great example. We've had a lot of men that have come through the Overcomer program, right? And a lot of them started because of a prison sentence. And it could have been marijuana in the dashboard of the car. It could have been something like that where they got arrested. And so um, a lot of these guys, some of you know, will come into our church and they'll be a part of our church for seven and a half months or a few months or maybe a couple years and they go on once they graduate or something like this. And some of these guys have Uh, graduated and they're part of this church. They're part of our family. They're some of your closest friends right now, okay, right? You guys have some close relationships with these guys. So for some would come back, would have a drug charge from five years ago on their record. Let me explain where at least our heads are in this. If someone has had a drug related charge five years ago of which we know that they have been saved and sanctified, they have been counseled, they have been clean for years and they have moved past all that, done their prison sentencing, there's not a problem with them potentially serving in a, in a ministry that does deal with kids. I got no problem there. For me personally, if someone had a sexual offense on their record 30 years ago, they're off the table for me serving. Okay? Drug charge five years ago, they've been clean from for five years, I don't have a problem with them serving. If a, if, but if a sexual abuse charge happened, 20, here's the deal. How long are you on a sexual offender registry for? Forever. For life. So in that category, that's how I would see this thing. Now, um, I have talked with people before who have had something in their past that was 20 years ago. I can't believe you're gonna keep me from serving this even though God has forgiven me. I forgive you, and you can serve, but just not with our kids. There's plenty of places you can serve in this church that don't have to do with preschool, kids, or, children, or, or student ministry, but I feel called to that, and I feel called to protect them too, and I love you, And I forgive you and I believe that you've moved past that, but I'm not going to tell a parent that this has been in their past and I'm going to allow them to continue to serve in this area. Now I think some of you are like, get them preacher, okay do it, you're with me, right? Some of you may have a problem with that and I I get that, but at the very end of the day, we are not telling people they cannot worship Jesus, we're not telling them they cannot be a part of this church, we're not even telling them they can't serve, they just can't serve in certain environments. That's all that we're saying here. Uh, but with other, other situations, if we look at if it does not have to do with those kind of situations. I'll also just say this as a side note. This is in the notes, but it's just something I feel like it's important to say. Um, you have got to determine as a parent or grandparent or whatever it is, if you were taking care of kids, what you were comfortable with with your kids walking around this church on a Sunday or a Wednesday or any time. Because I would like to say that I know all the people that walk in this church on a Sunday, but every single Sunday there's a new face every single Sunday. And um, and I'm not just talking about, well, you know, somebody asked me recently, they said, well, when you got people that are coming from this side or this side, we got people that are, that are homeless coming in, you got people that are overcomers. Well, nobody in the overcomers has a criminal record, do they? Yes, they do. And at least we know these guys are coming in saying they've got problems. It's the other people who come in, we don't know the situation they're walking in. And so what I would encourage everybody to think is that on any Sunday, there is a convicted offender in our midst. Now, Probably a few. Now, if that's uh, discouraging to you, I get it. And so, what do I do? I tell my kids to love every single person in this church, to accept every single person in this church. I tell Gloria, you can handshake, you can high five, you can hug whoever you want to. You can sit down at a table and eat, but when you go to the bathroom, me or your brothers are going to walk with you every single time. That there's there's no there's no you're either with them or you're with me every single time. Now she's the pastor's kid. I I don't care. The, 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 the deal is this, once again, as a father, I cannot act as if my actions can completely take off the table something happening, but I sure am going to do everything I can to limit that possibility. And so with that, even as a pastor, um, I, I'll just say this. Um, we probably need some people in our church to know that there are bathrooms in the vestibule, and when they send their kids out, they probably need to go to the back with them. For a few different reasons, okay? Now I know that a lot of times it'll happen, not every Sunday, but somebody's going to walk through and distract their body. I'm in the middle of sermon, i got to right where I want to, and somebody pops up and just walks right in front of me. I'm like, come on, you can't hold it for 15 more minutes. But then... <laughs> Also, uh, our wonderful facility teams, did you know there's a men and women's bathroom at the back of the sanctuary instead of the front of the sanctuary? It's amazing. You can actually walk backwards and not distract everybody there because you didn't use their bathroom before the service started. In addition to that, um, I will say this, I would never ever allow my child to leave a service and go to the bathroom unaccompanied by an adult. I trust people and I love people and my home and this church, I deal with more grit than you possibly can imagine on a weekly level. And I want people to feel welcome around me no matter what their past is, but my daughter's gonna be accompanied to going to the bathroom. And I think some parents and grandparents need to start thinking that way. Not, and and, and it may be at some level, you go, oh my goodness, this, I don't want my kids growing up, you don't have to grow them up scared. They need to be aware though, they need to be cautious. And so um, that's just kind of the side of things there. We also continue to do volunteer training. We have a scheduled training. We host a kickoff training uh, when they start, as well as a follow-up training when new people begin serving. Once a quarter, we'll hold a special uh, training, as well as send out frequent updates and instructions as needed to volunteers. All volunteers working with children and youth are given a policies and procedures document to read and understand to make sure they know their role and responsibilities over the children when it comes to -to day-to-day tasks, active shooter incidents, severe weather protocols, abuse reporting, evacuation procedures, and fire safety. Teachers and volunteers are made aware of the locations of the AED machines, as well as all medical supplies in the children's area, and the policies and procedures manual. Fire safety evacuation plans have been created and put in place should there ever be a fire that requires us to evacuate children and youth and adults from their areas. Volunteers and group leaders are trained on how to evacuate their rooms, what stairwells to use, and what rally points in the parking lots they need to group together for a role to be taken and further instructions. These evacuation maps can be found on each floor near entrances and exits. You go, I never knew they were there. I'll look around, it'd be helpful for you to do, okay? Evacuation plans and class roles remain with the preschool teachers as they move to different locations, if they go to worship, music, playground, etc. Just really quick, can you turn over to the back page just for a moment, we'll come back in just a second. On the back page, you will see a map of our campus and you notice these little rally points. Uh, any of you ever seen the rally point signs in our parking lot? Some of you know what those are? Some of you go, I have no idea, right? Um, If there was a fire, uh, if there was some type of situation that caused us to evacuate the building, we do not want all parents running into the classrooms looking for their kids. That's not gonna help anybody, okay? That's gonna slow down and it's gonna actually get some people killed. So what the teachers have is they have a, a thing that when they walk out, they grab this piece of paper, they've got their roster and they walk their kids to a particular rally point in the parking lot so that What happens is that if a parent wants to find their kid, they go to that rally point out there, and you go, and I know this, parents will go, oh, I know you told me, I forgot about it, what? Just go to the parking lot, okay? near where your kids would be, and you're gonna find your teacher with that roster, with those kids in check, and that's where you go find that person. Do not go run back to that, because then all of a sudden we got a traffic problem on the inside, and it's gonna cause a lot of issues there. Uh, but you can see all that kind of stuff there, memorize that, and uh, you'll be all good to go, right, okay? Because also the incident of this. Let's just say that on a Sunday morning, because somebody asked me that one time, they said, you know, you probably need to train everybody on a Sunday morning what to, t- what to do, if we have a fire or we have whatever, like going, okay, I'll do that this coming Sunday. And guess what's going to happen the next Sunday? Half the people are different. Y'all look around worship, right? You look at how often people come. You look at the new faces around you. You train something on one Sunday. It's obsolete the next Sunday. So we need to have people. You need to be aware so y'all can be like, Put on your hall monitor hat and you go, everybody follow me. Okay, like whatever it is, we need people like that. But also realize with people coming and going, there's always going to be people who have no idea what to do. So we want to move people to safety and then allow them to reconnect with their families. As far as door locks goes, once again, children's areas, they're operating on a door locking schedule. Depending upon the event, time of day, doors will be unlocked and then locked again to ensure the safety of those inside the children and youth areas. Um, So once again, you go to the preschool hall and you go, I'm having to knock on the door. Why is it locked? To protect the kids. Um, We're also, just so you guys are aware, uh, on the third floor, we are trying to do something right now. Uh, Some of you have your classrooms on the third floor. We also got our kids' classroom on the third floor. Uh, The best bathrooms are on the third floor in the kids' area. But we would like for adults not to go in there. Can you imagine why? Okay. So there are bathrooms. Yeah, but they're on the far end of the hallway. I got it. But it really would be helpful. And and so you don't want to be in this rude kind of situation. But in reality, that needs to be bathrooms for the kids and these need to be bathrooms for the adults. And so we're actually looking at some reconfiguration even to make sure because we like when the kids are on that hallway, nobody else goes in there unless you're a trained adult that's supposed to be working with them or your parent coming to pick them up. And nobody else should be in that situation. Um, The uh, just so you know, the IRT will remain in the preschool area at all times. They will not leave this location even in the event of an active shooter. Just so you're aware of that kind of policy there, if something happens, the person who's on that hallway is going to stay with those kids, keeping them, everybody safe and calm. Uh, If some of y'all remember the Wednesday night event um, years ago where the lady came in and pulled the fire alarm and caused everybody running out of the building, you know, it was, I was all running around trying to find her. uh, We find that, you know, our IRT had collected all the preschoolers and everybody's good to go. They just thought they're having a little story time, but somebody's in there with them. Everything's locked down. We kind of know where everybody's at. And so, in uh, a really good situation there. Um, the also, uh, uh, if an active shooter or dangerous situation is taking place on campus, a security alert alarm will sound. The children and youth areas will remain on lockdown following the emergency procedures. Also, want you to know this: that we are mandatory reporters. What does that mean? Um, this, uh, as a, as a as clergy, right, as a part of a church staff, sometimes someone will sit down in my, in my office and say. I need to tell you something, but I'm only going to tell it if you promise you're not going to tell anybody. You know what my response is? No. If you tell me you are trusting me to do what I feel is best with the information that you give me, if you tell me and some kind of harm has been done to a minor, I'm going to report it as soon as you leave. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your family is. I don't care what kind of backlash it could be for me. If you tell me that some child is being harmed, I'm going to report to authorities as soon as it is. So if it has anything to do with that, I want to let you know that I will report it. Yeah, okay, well, it's not exactly that, but it's kind of, I don't know, you got to promise me you're not going to tell anybody. I will not promise that. If you trust me with that information, you got to trust me that I would do with it what I need to do. There have been some times that people have gotten up and left my office, okay? That's hard. Um, but there are also sometimes when people come in, they tell me something that is not needed to be reported. And there are sometimes I'll say, I love you. I hate this has happened. I'm going to get that child protected. And we're going to have to start taking some steps here. And you can work with me or you can work against me. But we can really make this easy. And I promise you that at the end of the day. And here's, here's the thing that as, as I have taught our staff this as well. If harm has been done to a minor, right, for me to report that some people would say is you're gonna break up the family. The family's already busted. If that's happening, nothing good's going on there in the first place, right? But if I refuse to report that, and later it's found out that I had knowledge of it, guess whose family has also now been devastated? Mine has, right? So not only has that family been devastated by this, but my refusal to take action, I can now be actually arrested and now my family's busted up because I don't do it as a mandated reporter. By law, I am supposed to go to the authorities and go, I'm not an investigator, but this is what I've heard and this is on you. And now I'm clear, right? And so it seems just so black and white, but you have to keep it in that mentality. So for our staff, this is what I've told them. If you see any sign of something in a child that makes you question you must tell somebody else on staff immediately because what that would do is provide a little fortitude if you're kind of backing off a little bit right i don't know what if it's not it's not your job to be an investigator it's not your job to go i think whatever is burden of proof my job is to protect kids my job is to protect people in this church and i'm going to let people have been trained to go through those things how they need to but so for that we are mandated reporters um It says, this means that should anyone on staff here or view suspicious activity that a child is being abused physically, sexually neglected, or shows emotional maltreatment, we will not only report the incidents internally, but also notify the police and or DSS. Um, You see here, we have three forms we use for filing reports. We have an accident or incident report, a sensitive counseling report, as well as a suspected abuse report that we fill out. Once again, what that's going to happen is that's going to come to me and then we're gonna start moving the process to alert the authorities as we need to and to protect the uh, child or the individual as quickly as I can. Um, Some of y'all might know the name Marshall Blaylock. He's the pastor at First Baptist Charleston. Uh, He's been there for years and is a great man of God uh, that I'm so thankful for. Um, He served so well in the city of Charleston after the AME uh, manual shooting, but also he is serving on the National Southern Baptist Convention Task Force for Sexual Abuse. He's the vice uh, chair for that committee. And I was talking to him recently and he shared this story publicly, so it's not like it's a private story. But as he started walking through this and explaining to his church at FBC Charleston, what he was trying to do is to make sure that no few, uh, further sexual abuse would take place uh, within a congregation. And, uh, and if you guys know this also, what the whole thing is, is that now Southern Baptists have a database that if anyone's ever been accused, They go on that. So if we were able to go hiring somebody, we can look to see if somebody's name is on there. And for years we were told we couldn't legally do that. And apparently not only could we legally do it, some people have been doing it, keeping up a list and not sharing that list with anybody. And what happened was is those shepherds were allowing more harm to be done to the flock, right? By keeping things in the dark. So with this, Marshall was sharing with his church and the stuff that he was doing and what was happening in the denomination. And he was leading a young adult Bible study and there was a young lady in there who shared a story that said that years ago she went to her pastor, her pastor, who was her father, and said, I have been uh, sexually uh, abused by someone that's a little bit older than me. And she came to him broken. She came to him for help. And his response to her was, people who are walking with God don't have things happen like that to her you were just walking with God, that wouldn't happen. To which Marshall can barely say that whole story without just getting choked up, right? Because at the end of the day, once again, um, when harm is done, there is a level of protection and, and, and rehabilitation that honestly you have to do that it's kind of like if you ever, uh, if you break your leg, you'll learn to walk again, but you might have a limp, right? Something like this happens to somebody as a kid. Can God restore it? Can God renew them? Can God see healing in their life? Yes, but you're you going to live with a limp. You know, there, there's trauma that's associated there that just doesn't go away. And, and so, with this, um, just so you know, once again, um, in counseling situations, if I were to find out that harm had been done to a minor, uh, we're going to report it and we're going to report it immediately. What we tell our volunteers, if you suspect something, you need to go to the staff member and say, this kind of was weird. This is kind of awkward here. I don't know exactly what to do, but, um, and, and then that staff member is going to start the process and talk with me and we're going to get on there to, to make sure this happens. Um, I also just will say this, that it's important. Some of y'all know we do a check-in system where kids get a name tag and the parents have a little sticker they do. They're supposed to line up with and every Sunday. Someone, oh, I forgot my sticker. I'm sorry. I don't know where I placed it. Okay. We know you, you know, and whatnot, and you want to kind of let them slide through. But some of our volunteers and staff members have made some parents very, very upset. I need to see that, that path. I can't believe it. It's kind of, here's a situation that I've I, I noticed happened in numerous churches. You ready for this? Um, uh, marital separation or divorce has taken place. Mom drops off in the preschool, dad comes in. In the middle of it, oh, Daddy! Hey, baby girl, I'm here to pick you up. Oh, I didn't know you were here today. Oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And, and now where it's actually the child is supposed to be with Mom, now the dad has actually gotten her away and taken her by car, that can actually be sometime in a kidnapping situation. And now the church has actually been somewhat allowing that to take place because we didn't follow our checks and balances system. So for every parent, who gets frustrated. This, this is a stupid sticker. Okay, it is a stupid sticker that's keeping our kids safe. And so with that, it's all these precautions that you try to take. Uh, and um, sometimes you, you go, and, I mean, in, in reality also, there's a situation sometimes people will come in um, that they, at their church, used to do it this way, and I don't understand why I have to do it this way. Once again, you're at our church now, and this is how we take care of our kids. And we're thankful that you're here, but if you don't like it, there's plenty of other churches you can annoy down the road, okay? And we we got plenty of people doing that for us. So, um How you can help, Um, I'd ask you to do this. Be diligent, keep your eyes and ears open for suspicious activity and report anything to the nearest IRT person. Do not take it upon yourself to address or confront a suspicious person, okay? If you see something happening, uh, go to a place where you know that the greeters are located, different entry points, and you're gonna find somebody probably with an earpiece and whatnot, and you will be like, hey, I just saw somebody and they're acting a little funny, right? Uh, I have been in situations, I don't know if some of you guys, uh, I may have talked to a couple of you about this, but there was one Sunday where I see a guy that uh, I've been counseling, and uh, I know the situation. He's at a breaking point, like what the sermon's on. He showed up at the wrong Sunday, right? And I just, he's just uneasy, and I can tell he's making people around him uneasy. I'm going, abort. Nobody take him out, okay? Like he's just under conviction. I promise he's not going to blow anything up, right? But you can find sometimes that there'll be sometimes you'll see if there's suspicious activity. Sometimes people say so-and-so's happening, and somebody's coming sit behind them, right? Just get near them or whatever. Those kind of things are happening. and So if you see something like that, we just ask you, um, don't do a Barney Fife citizens arrest, whatever you do, okay? Just for the love of everyone, please refrain. Um, we ask you to be aware of the evacuation routes and any rally points for your area. Uh, we ask you don't prop open any exterior doors to the church for any reason. Once again, a lot of our situations that we've had that could have been bad, but by God's grace were not, could have just been avoided if doors that have been not propped open and somebody walked in it wasn't supposed to be there. Uh, make yourself familiar with the fire alarm locations where they are so if you could see a situation. And if you want to join the IRT, uh, you got obviously there uh, contact Brett Dunn, our director there, or David Williams here on staff. Um, here's what my, my, my promise to you is this in an uh, active shooter type of situation or especially in a, in a sexual abuse situation. We cannot fail-proof everything that we do here. Background check only works for people who've been caught, right? Um, you can do all the different types of precautions in the world. Uh, some of our... Um, here's one of the, 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 the most frightening statistics that you find is that I forget the percentage, and some of y'all might can fill this in, but I'll just say this. The majority of sexual abuse cases always come from a relationship and contact with somebody in the home or close nearby. It's never a stranger that this happens to you. Rarely is it a stranger. It's rarely a person in a store that comes and comes. The majority of cases comes from a family member or somebody that's trusted by the family or even in a church situation that someone gives free access and thinks it never would happen. That's where the majority of cases come. And, and so with that, um, there are certain things that as a father... I'm going to do. Um, I am, uh, and and maybe some people say that I'm I'm paranoid, but um, my kids aren't going to spend the night at houses that I don't know the people at it. In fact, my my kids don't spend the night at people's houses unless it's family. Um, Why? Because I spent the night at people's houses when I was a kid, and I know what I was exposed to at different times. And uh, so that may mean in different ways certain things I'm going to have to step away from. But in the same way as a pastor, there may seem certain things that you read this. And you get, and, and, and hopefully, I, I really do hope this. I hope some of you are walking away going, wow, I never knew we did all this stuff. Like I feel a little bit better. I, but I also hate we have to think about it. Um, we do think about it, we pray about it, we research, we talk to people, we've got people who do this for a living who are really thinking through how we do it. Uh, even with this uh, opening up of this back uh, doorway to the, the preschool area, honestly, it's gonna have to still be one entry point where we can have eyes in both areas and make it really a lot easier in some ways to kind of contain some things. Um, for us, our, our job, if I go back to Jeremiah 23, I cannot protect people at all at all all levels, but I sure want us to give our best effort at it. If there are certain things that we can do that can protect from different types of violence or different types of issues, I want people to have the best opportunity to experience God and the glory of what is the local church at the best of our ability. And so with that, we take certain precautions, we do certain things, and we appreciate your flexibility and understanding as we go about it. We ask and encourage you when things happen that you see, opportunities that you you see, different things that you can come into contact with, that we can improve or do what not please let us know you see the people there you can come talk to me but just know this at the very end of the day my heart as a shepherd is this i want to protect our folks and um and that's and so that's what we're after here so let me pray for us and then if you got any questions uh we'll be around and, and can 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 go through anything like that at all so yeah is there yeah. Um, just real quick on the Yes, sir. A good point, and I also just I mean you what I, I love about the crew that serves in the way, Brett, you lead out, I don't want to just you know brag on you guys, but uh, this morning, I got situation, and um my wife called and said, "Hey, the door' we're about to come into it looks like there's a homeless guy there. do you think it's okay for us so i I well, got there and, and I'll see and by the time I got there and started talking to the guy. Um, Brett pulled up, and he starts walking near, and, and I was like, by the way, I haven't got your name yet, and Brett says the guy's name, and I'm like, oh, you guys know each other, <laughs> okay, like, and, and so these guys are not just serving as some type of, like, alarm system or just protection, like, they're trying to minister to the people that may come in off the streets that may we don't know, or we're not just trying to, to, in some kind of way, get, you know, just rough people up it's not that it's to allow everybody here to have a good good experience and so with that uh i'm just thankful for the way that you guys do lead out and and do the things that you do um so once again yeah we can we can we can thank those guys i think so um um and uh so once again um we've got uh we're going to put this online for people who aren't here i hope this has been helpful tonight and i hope at some level it's been encouraging uh even though it's discouraging to talk about um, but we want to do as what we can uh, Just to make sure that everybody you can I'm sorry I've kept you guys a little bit late But we'll make sure we took our time through this And we pray for us um, Father um, You have entrusted uh, Us with some wonderful people And um, People who love you and, and want to follow you And we've got kids who want to grow up In a safe environment that is the church But sin is a nasty Nasty thing And there are people who have given in to it and are sick and depraved and would do anything they can to bring harm to others because of the pain that they feel in their own lives. And so while, God, we cannot protect every situation from every type of uh, evil, we can do our diligence to make sure that we limit the opportunity for it. And so, Lord, um, for those that have been already devastated by something like this, there are people in our church family that have been sexually abused or abused that. Uh, the counseling uh, services that we offer and try to help renew and heal people. There's that side of it. There's the prevention side of it that we must always consider to limit the opportunity for it. And um, Lord, we just want people to be able to, when they come into your house, to feel safe, when they gather with your people to uh, be protected. And so Lord, uh, as a shepherd of this congregation, help me to do what I can to protect this flock. And thank you for the men and women who also take that as a calling on their lives to do the same. And Lord, uh, we pray that we will never have a situation uh, like the ones that we've been talking about. But we also know that that, that possibility is there. Lord, help us keep our eyes open, uh, our, our just spirits alert to any type of evil that's around us. But also God, help us to be so diligent to renew the inner self of ourselves and others to know that where sin takes us can be so so damaging. So allow us as a church to work on the people who are um, offended or offenders. Uh, the people that have done the evil ones that have uh, experienced themselves. The Lord, help us be a church that does this to protect the flock. Yes, uh, you gave your blood for them. And so let us do what we can to protect. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all. Thank you for listening to the Equip Podcast. Make sure to check out RockyCreek.church for complete notes and additional resources. You can also subscribe to this podcast and get weekly courses delivered to you. We hope to equip you for the work of the ministry.